0: you're listening to perspectives in parryville today my guest is astrid pickup a yoga teacher and president of the international yoga teachers association in this episode we explore the ancient practice of yoga and its place within contemporary western culture astrid reflects on her early enthusiasm for physical activities and outdoor sports such as hockey cross-country skiing canyoning, and rock climbing, which led to the physical techniques and practice of yoga. From this perspective, Astrid brings a practical and down-to-earth approach to yoga's mental, emotional and energetic aspects. We explore Astrid's experiences in training to be a yoga teacher, including knowledge and practice of the five integrated energy bodies. Physical, energetic or breath, mental, intuitive, and the ultimate, often elusive goal of bliss. That is realisation, to become one with everything around us. During our conversation, Astrid briefly guides us through a simple technique. Hummingbird breathing, beneficial in calming the nervous system and cutting out mental chatter. Here's my conversation with Astrid Pickup. Good to be speaking to you.
1: Thank you. Nice to be here.
0: <laughs> so I guess where, where are we or, you know, uh, how, how, did, how did you get here or how, you know, I drove here.
1: But... Yes, well, I'm quite lucky. I live here. So um, I, I live in a, a beautiful patch of bush in Thornleigh and uh, we actually built this pole house and um, so it's up in the treetops. So we get a lot of bird life here, which you'll probably hear. And um, we get wallabies underneath the house. We've got goannas and lizards and snakes and um, yeah, a resident lyrebird bird that sometimes pops in and lots of brush turkeys and everything else. So um, yeah, really lucky, love this space. And, you know, we've been on this block oh, about 27 years. My husband and I uh, love the bush, so we met as rock climbers up in the Blue Mountains, where he was living. And um, yeah, we've always gravitated to outdoor pursuits. And when we saw this block of land, we decided that yep, this is where we want to be. And we raised our kids here. And um, yeah, we now sort of have our dream home that we like to um, retire in. And I'm you know very lucky. My husband also built me a yoga studio because I'm a yoga teacher. And uh, so underneath the house I have a, a separate entrance for my students to come and do yoga with me and they look out on the bush as well and get to see the bird life and everything as well. So really nice environment. And um, this particular area you can just walk straight out and get right into the, the bush on the Banawi track and um, the Great North Walk and things like that. So I do that several times a week. Get out in nature, that's my way of um, grounding, meditating if you like, a walking meditation. And um, just sort of letting go of the stress, especially this year, yeah. which has been a very fascinating year for, for many of us.
0: In a year like no other. Yes. <laughs> so now, we do have a plane going over, but oh, we'll, we do, we'll disregard yeah. that. <laughs> this is life in a, in, a, in a city.
1: We are still in suburbia and I don't know, there's some sort of mark around here where they actually do the turn heading back towards the airport. But uh, usually it's only when it's quite cloudy they'll come come down a bit more. But, yeah, there's a little wet bird out there.
0: So I know you through yoga, yoga Ooh. class. So uh, I guess we'll talk about the yoga um, aspect in a bit more detail, you know, soon. Yep. But to kind of get us prepared for that, I mean, maybe if you could tell us how when did you start you know what did you do yoga when you were younger or Nothing. how did it how give us a, a bit of a, a history
1: yeah so i i came to yoga you know i sort of think oh, i wish i discovered yoga earlier but i was 31 when i discovered yoga and um, prior to that i was very active playing for four hockey clubs a week so lots, and lots of running uh, um, <laughs> i used to do a lot of running And um, at that time, I was also heavily into cross-country skiing, rock climbing, uh, canyoning, which I still do. Mm. And, um, you know, rafting, you know, any outdoor pursuit, you name it, I was into it. And um, I started to, you know, met my husband and we we continued being really, really active outdoors. And then we had children. We had three of them and um, we couldn't get out doing some of the extreme things we used to do i was still playing hockey at that point but my mum suggested you know why don't you come along and do a yoga class this is after i'd had my third child and i said oh yeah okay i'll give it a go and um yeah i went to my first yoga class and i was really i thought oh this would be really good for stretching because i was doing still a lot of running with my hockey i thought it would be a good balance to negate all that running. That's a bit of
0: an entry point, isn't it, for for a lot of people? Oh, lots of people,
1: yeah, you know, purely physical. Yeah,
0: Yeah. remedial kind of sort of, they're doing other sport like you were.
1: Yeah, yeah. So it was interesting, after a year of practice, I sort of realized, oh, there's a little bit more to yoga than just the the stretching and the physical. I thought, you know, I'm actually um, calmer you know, not as stressed. And and I was thinking, yeah, there there is something to this practice that it's not just to to get a good stretch. And so I kept continuing with my yoga practice. And this was up at um, Millennium Gym, where we've met. Yes. And I still teach there. And, but that's where I first started doing my yoga. And um, I had this fabulous teacher and she trained with the um, IYTA, which is the International Yoga Teachers Association. And after about three years of practice, she suggested that, oh, you know, you might want to look at becoming a teacher. And she went on holidays and we got some fill-in teachers come through and they were awful.
0: (laughs) Why? What makes an awful yoga teacher?
1: (laughs) Oh, it was really poor instruction, um, not engaging with the students and um, very... I don't know. It's I found it quite frustrating and I thought I could do a better job than this. <laughs> a bit arrogant, I know, mm. but um,
0: So at this stage had yeah. you had you had you still maintained your activity in the other sports or had that declined? Oh, yeah.
1: No, no, I was still playing hockey, lots and lots of hockey, and I was still canyoning. My husband and I made a point of continuing to to canyon and um
0: What's canyoning? I can't, I've got a bit of a concept that oh. I think I know, but I, I'm not sure I do know what it is.
1: Well, I mean, we're lucky in Sydney because we have the Blue Mountains on our doorstep and there are so many you know, sandstone canyons in that area. It's, it's beautiful. So there's there's two types of canyons. There is um, ones where you swim. So you use lilos and you, you float down on the lilos and there's a bit of rock scrambling and things like that. And then the other type of canyons are more vertical ones where you have to abseil. So essentially what we have in the Blue Mountains with the sandstone canyons is the water has run through the sandstone and created these deep, deep channels through the rock. So you start to follow a creek and as you go down into the creek it will descend into these deep canyons. So you you know quite often we're abseiling into them and down at the base you're at the bottom of the creek. but. You've got these, you know, fantastic sculpted sandstone walls all the way up. And, they, you know, they could be 50, 75 metres high. And you've got all this beautiful moss. And it's just stunning. I love it. And then, of course, if you go down, you have to get back up. So you've got to usually climb back up the side of the um, caverns. Are
0: you keeping an eye out, out? out. As, you're kind of, <laughs> as you're going down? Are you are you planning the return trip? Or? Well these
1: are very well established. Oh, okay. So I've been canyoning for about 33 years now and um, you know back in those initial days we were doing exploratory canyons but most of them have been mm-hmm. been found and navigated and there's guidebooks out there that tell you you know how long the abseils are where the entry and the exit points are and the popular ones there, there's tracks like it's very hard to get lost you just follow the track. Yes. So, 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 um,
0: so back to your yoga, your assessment of the uh, the limitations of the yoga teachers, oh, yes. and, and the, uh, the the realization that you could realization
1: do. that I thought, yeah, this is a possibility. So, um, at that stage, I was no longer working full time. So, I used to work in a corporate job at Bankers Trust in merchant banking. Oh yeah. And uh, you know, long hours. What a hours. what a perfect
0: balance to the I canyoning. <laughs> <laughs> yes.
1: Yeah, so um, when I Sort of have my children I decided it would you know my husband and I sat down we made a decision that it made sense to have one stay-at-home parent and he earned more money than I and I was quite happy to give up my corporate job so uh, I did that for quite some years and um, I do like to use my brain though (laughs) and keep working so initially I was quite happy being a staying-at-home mum. And then I picked up some part-time work when they were a little bit older and starting to go to school and preschool and things. And then once my daughter made it to preschool, so she was about five by then, that's when I seriously looked at the yoga teacher training. And I thought, oh, that'll, that'll be nice to do you know, while the kids are at school and after hours when, when my husband's back home. And I absolutely loved it. You know. Um,
0: so what was it? What were the aspects of it that you were drawn to
1: well i'm a very physical person
0: i'd had picked that up based on your (laughs) you know recounting of your activities
1: definitely a very physical person so that is where i i started yoga from from the physical aspect but when you do the teacher training they cover so much more than you know what what we teach as teachers is is a very small part of yoga so You know, we learnt meditation techniques. There's so many breathing techniques out there to affect your state of mind and your state of body, etc. We learnt the history of yoga, the philosophies, because it's actually quite a mental practice as well. It's examining your thought processes and, you know, why are you doing things the way you do in your life and can you make a change, etc. So it's, it's more than just physical. So that side of yoga got, you know, opened up to me and it's like wow and um, the thing I really love about it is you never stop learning so I spent the next 10 years once I was teaching really um, solidifying my knowledge of the physical practice and the body and how that works because I felt that's where I came from as a physical person and um, you know the next 6 years I've been teaching for 16 years now exploring more of the the mental processes, and the, the, the other sides, the energetic sides of, of yoga as well, and trying to coalesce them all together. So when I began teaching, you know, super physical, and I still am a physical teacher, but weaving in more of the other aspects of yoga these days as I got more comfortable with them and more knowledge, generally I only like to teach what I know. And I know my body pretty well, and I sort of understand other people's bodies as you know well as I can. But uh, the mental aspects, a lot more complicated and emotional aspects, etc. So I'm still exploring those sides and
0: weaving so them in. So all up, how long have you been a practitioner of yoga?
1: Uh, 21 years. Yeah.
0: And then you've, you've obviously um, expanded that with um, the kind of the studio here. Yes. Like you kind of, um, I guess, did that build up over a long period of time or did it happen?
1: Well, the studio came about because of, um, basically the, I was teaching at a place in Hornsby and it closed down, and I had all these students and we had nowhere to go, so I thought. I'll build my own studio. We had well, some.
0: That's going to solve that problem. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. It took a year, but um, we had some space under this pole house, and uh, so we just filled in the space and made it a yoga studio.
0: How do you know when you're designing a yoga studio? What? How do you know what what to look out for or what to feature?
1: Uh, well, I mean, the beauty of yoga is you can practice it anywhere. All you need is a space to put a mat down, and and you're good to go. So you can have it as simple or as complicated as you like. I've done, uh, you know, one of my oldest teachers, she was teaching out of a garage. She just converted a garage into a studio. So I just wanted a big open floor space. And um, one of the luxuries I did put in it was underfloor heating. And that's really appreciated in winter to have nice warm floors. And um, we did actually build walls that could cope with people kicking up for handstands
0: oh yeah that's a a, a thing isn't it I've (laughs) kind of know um, different locations of different yoga classes it's always this awkward uh, moment trying to find a little piece of wall that's not glass or not yes equipment so yeah that's a a bit of pre pre pre-planning and
1: Yeah, so I have lots of wall space down in my studio and it's uh, a real hardy it's not hardy plank i'm not sure what it is but it's it's not your standard uh gyprock
0: it's not going to get because you're not um, going to kick a hole in yeah a, yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> and i also put some ropes up on the wall so there's there's lots of different types of yoga and i've practiced um quite a few one of them is yenga yoga and they put ropes on the wall and you can do a whole lot of postures with ropes and things so i also set that up that i could you know get ropes on the walls and things if i wanted to teach in that style
0: so the people that uh, I guess are interested in doing yoga are they what sort of pathways where do they why are they doing yoga as a practice is obviously the physical like re- remedial uh, kind of stretching and that type of thing but mm. do you I don't know if you chat much to your students I guess with the studio you must because it's a bit more ca- it's more cozy. intimate yeah. yeah
1: so with um My own studio, you know, students have to fill out a a pre form about why they've come to yoga, what health conditions they have, etc. And so I get to know my students that way. When I teach in a public space like the gym, I don't have any of that information, but I do like to talk to all the students and find out what's going on at a minimum. And it's interesting, a lot of people um, will come just for stress release rather than the physical. Uh, I get quite a few people sent to me because of um, health issues, their physios are, or doctors have sent them to a yoga class. So there's a, many varied reasons and um, I think, you know, you've, you've got different types of people, people who want to be there, people who are dragged along by their partners and people who have told that, you know, they, they should be doing this for their health. And I find most people that start from, you know, whatever reason, a lot of them, because we've done surveys in this in my association, um, over a period of time, they start listing the health mental benefits more than the physical benefits as why they keep coming back.
0: You're listening to Perspectives in Perryville. So, I have heard you say that you're an unusual yoga teacher. Yes. What does that mean? What is a usual yoga teacher, and and why are you not that?
1: Well, uh, only unusual in the sense of what is portrayed as a typical yoga teacher. So, if you see the media's portrayal of yoga teachers, they are beautiful, tall, lissom models, essentially is what they put in the media. And I am
0: they always a seem a little bit bored as well with <laughs> the kind of, you know.
1: Well, because most of the time when they're showing yoga poses, they are models. They're not necessarily yoga teachers. And I, I get a bit frustrated with the media and how they portray us. And, um, you know, when my students come to my classes, they see a very real person. I'm short, stocky, a bit overweight, um, very down to earth. <laughs> and
0: you do strike me as being very down to earth. Very yes.
1: down to earth. Yes. Hence the, the physical aspect and n- definitely not into the, anything woo-woo, you know. So um, that's when I first went into my teacher training and I struggled with the, the energy systems, the chakras and all of that. And I'm just going, oh, you know. Um, and it took me a long time to unpack that and realize that, yeah, there is more to the body and there is something to these energy systems. And you can't just chuck something out because it, it doesn't fit your view necessarily. And this is one thing we tell our teachers in training, you know, not everything will resonate with you when you're first learning everything about yoga and that's okay. You know, just put, if something doesn't make sense, um, just put it on the top shelf and it'll be there in five years, 10 years, whenever you're ready to go and revisit that, go and revisit it then, you know, just put it to the side, know that it's there and you can always come back to it, which is what I love about yoga. So, and that's what I did. You know, I explored that physical And then I thought, yeah, there's this other stuff here, I really need to start learning about that, and and went off and did that. So, you know, when my students come to me, I'm this very practical teacher. I I still can't change my personal nature, and nor should you. You you have to teach authentically, so I can't pretend that I'm a a guru in, in something else that I'm not. And so they they see a very real person doing postures and they think oh if she can do that you know this why can't i should be able it's to do that it's accessible to them yeah i teach very accessible yoga and yoga it should be for everybody it shouldn't just be for the you know the the super fit healthy perfect bodies because none of us have perfect mm. bodies and that's another thing we teach our teachers that everybody is different and you can't tell what's going on inside someone else's body and half the time they don't even know what's going inside their bodies. So you have to, you know, we we teach postures in a general way and no one's ever really gonna have the perfect pose. You just want them to achieve a pose that's gonna have the best benefit for them. And at the same time, you know, I, I like to check in with my students that, you know, does this feel right? And if this doesn't feel right, so can we try it a different way? Because, you know, something that's right for me is not going to be right for someone else. When you look at um, medical texts, they have a, a very simplified skeleton structure. And I've been told that pretty much all the skeleton bone frames that we're looking at are 26-year-old males as a standard. That's pretty funny. Yeah?
0: Well, funny, but a bit <laughs> kind of... um. Limited.
1: It's very limited mm. because when you really get into looking at people's actual bone structures, like take the a femur, the, the big thigh bone, and how it sits into a, a pelvis, so your hip joint, you've got some people that have quite narrow little balls on the top of their femur bones, and you know, these big pelvic joints so they can rotate this this is a very visual thing Mm. so sorry for those who are listening (laughs) but it's um you know they can go in all directions they're the sort of people that can do the splits any which way yeah you know but then you've got someone else with a very tight capsule and you know they just hit bone on bone and you know it doesn't matter how much stretching they're going to do it's not going to change their ability to take their legs wider or stretch more
0: so I guess with that in mind because that that is a thing with um, you know uh, abstracted diagrams to kind of uh, use in training that type of thing and I, d- I had not considered the twenty seven year old male yeah uh, um, but yeah I, I know exactly what you mean and it is a it is a thing in kind of lots of different areas and so what how did they when you were doing your your yoga training and and uh, I guess it's uh, I'm assuming you're not exposed to these sort of diagrams each and every day, but you know mm. how do they how do they approach you know the the kind of training of these different systems or you know do you do a, a a term's worth of physical and then a term's worth of mental or is it blended together or how long I guess it's ongoing but how yeah can you tell us a bit more about when you trained as a teacher
1: so when I trained um it was, it was a year-long course, and we conducted it. It was one whole weekend every month. And then we also had a, a residential, which was for a week, where everyone came in and stayed at the residential. Um, funnily enough, the training that I did 16 years ago, I now run. So I'm a, one of the lecturers on this teacher training. And it's actually changed quite radically in that time. So this course.
0: How was that? This is a fa- this is thousands because, of years old. How could it change well, radically?
1: Well, our, our particular course is one of the longest running in Australia. So it's been running for. We were formed in nineteen sixty seven, and the teacher training's been running for fifty years. And you know, I still have some of the original course material from fifty wow. years ago. You know, and to what every year we refine our course because new information's coming through all the time. And one of the great things about um, yoga in the Western world is that we've got physiotherapists now doing becoming yoga teacher trainings and doctors and, you know, really important health people who've got all that anatomy, Western anatomy training, and they're bringing it into the yoga sphere. And so we're... I like
0: that, as the yoga sphere.
1: Yeah, well, um, you know, it's interesting, yoga originated in India you know thousands of years ago and back then it was very self exploratory from internal so they would go okay there's a pressure point here they call them mamas or there's an energy center in this you know I can feel it in my body and they would map the body in that regard Um, I don't know if they took apart cadavers but certainly they they work with the physical body and you'll find that in yoga a lot of the poses are named after animals so embodying you know that that movement of the animal or the spirit of the animal etc
0: downward dog
1: downward dog cobra pose you know coming up like a snake all that sort of stuff yeah but then you've also got your warriors there's a bit of martial art involved in yoga as well and uh, i also am a uh, sensei in karate so I find it fascinating that a lot of the warrior poses in yoga equate to the standing postures in my martial arts. And there is a lot of crossover there as well with breathing, with movement. Um, so it's yeah, it's very interesting how all these disciplines combine and move apart throughout the decades and years. And yeah, but now we've got this, you know, Western medical aspect as well informing us of what is good for the body and what is not good for the body. How we, how we teach our students is still over a year, but we integrate all the different bits throughout that year. So we don't just teach an anatomy course over three months or philosophy over three months. So we every study weekend, we have a bit of physical, a bit of um, mental, a bit of meditation, a bit of breathing bit of philosophy so it's interwoven and we build on it as we go throughout the year we find that's a better learning for our students
0: you're listening to perspectives in parryville With, like with lots of disciplines, it sounds like a holistic approach to instruction has benefits. You know, you're not separating the, the pieces out; you're kind mm. of covering them uh, in one go. And, and I guess it sounds like there's, it's a quite a responsive uh, a process, where you, you're kind of it's it's always it's dynamic. By the sounds of it, teaching yoga.
1: Well, I mean, if you look at the um, the. Definition of yoga: It means to yoke, to combine. So, in yoga, we're looking at um, you know the body, but also the mind and the spirit and the emotional aspect. So, in yoga, we break it down. We've got five bodies.
0: Oh, you'll have to talk us through. What are these five bodies you <laughs> so speak of?
1: We we have our physical body. Okay, always. here we, we are. Start. You know, we can physically touch it. Yes. And then we have our energetic body. Which is affected through the breath. The breath is the energy moving through the body. Then you have your mental body. And then you have, um, beyond the mental body, you've sort of got your wisdom, your intuitive mind. So sometimes we call it the witness as well. So everyone has a conversation in their heads. We talk to ourselves. So sometimes, you know, when we're going into meditation practices, you ask people, well, who is that witness observing you? thinking your thoughts that's the deeper person we're trying to get to so that's the fourth level and then the fifth one is the bliss body where we reach our Samadhi if you like our bliss which is our ultimate goal as human beings to eventually become one with everything around us and um,
0: and these are all kind of um active at the same time
1: oh yeah so you can't separate out you you can't just put your emotional body to the side and say I'm not going to be emotional and Just work on the physical, everything is integrated and I think that's one maybe a little downfall of western medicine in some ways is they just look at one part of the body, they don't look at it as a whole, you know people will have mental anguish, it will appear in their physical body so you can treat the physical but really you're not treating the the initial problem which was the mental so, you know, yoga we do try and, and look at everything as a whole as much as we can um, mind you, the the Western yoga that we teach, a lot of it is just based on the physical, and you know some styles they really even touch on the mental side of it, which is the the relaxation at the end is really important. I believe, I don't think it's a yoga class without a relaxation because that is your time for settling into the mental and emotional states. Um, and is
0: that is that relaxation generally like a standard part of the? um traditionally the class it is very
1: traditionally part of the class yes
0: but i guess it's kind of we're on the clock with timetables and gym routines and squashing it (laughs) into 45 minutes or an hour and then some people have to go back to work or something and you know so
1: in the in the uh again you know changing in such a short time when i first started classes were an hour and a half and uh, the, you know, I'm lucky at the gym, I get an hour and 15. And then other places I've only got an hour. And I also work for the government for Healthy Lifestyle. And next year when they're starting their classes up again, they're now telling me I have to teach a class in 45 minutes. And I've, I've had some um, qualms about that because it's very hard to lead someone. There's some beautiful birds out there. <laughs> Lead someone to, you know, first of all, get them settled, leave their day behind so that they're in the space they're about to practice, then warm them up, take them through a physical practice, and then lead them to a state where they can hit that deep relaxation. So how do you, you know, 45 minutes, I'm really not going to get them on that full journey that I'd like them to be integrated.
0: Yeah, Yeah, I, I like the idea that it's conceived as a journey. Mm. But I guess it, just in principle, is it better that the people do a little bit of yoga than none? Yes. Okay. But, <laughs> but ideally it would be this idea of a journey of a kind of, you know, you've got a certain amount of time and you're sort of doing certain things.
1: Yes. Well, it, I mean, it, it probably comes down to why is that person coming to the class? And if they're not getting what they want, they'll go. They'll hopefully search out and find a teacher that will give them what they need or want. And a lot of them do want to come for the relaxation, that de-stress, that getting out of their heads and into their bodies first helps with that process. If you take them to relaxation first, a lot of the time they they won't be able to be still.
0: Oh, I see. So it's not like just something that is like... For timetabling purposes, the relaxation's better at the end. It's actually you've no. got a rationale that's, you, in the physical movements, you're priming yourself for... Oh, yes,
1: there's a process to it. And uh, it's actually laid out in the, the Eight Limbs of Yoga. It's called Ashtanga Yoga. And they start with the... Phys- they, actually, they start with Yama Niyamas, which is like your ethics, your Ten Commandments, if you like. You know, um, living cleanly and non-violence a whole range of things like that. Then you move to the physical, the asana. Then you move to the breath, the pranayama. So regu- learning to regulate your breath is also a new thing for many people.
0: Yeah, what's, tell us more. A, a little bit more about that. What does so it mean? Or what every, does it involve? Everyone can
1: breathe. Yes. And no one's really taught how to breathe.
0: Do, yeah, it seems but like it's... there are
1: many ways you can breathe. And breathing's interesting because it's... It unconsciously... Ha- it's one of those things that... Um, Is parasympathetic and sympathetic in the nervous system so you can forget about your breathing it will just happen body will do it regardless but you can consciously change how you breathe and how you breathe affects your whole nervous system so a lot of us when we're unconsciously breathing we're just breathing quite shallow in the upper chest and if we make people a little bit more conscious they will learn to take that breath deeper they the longer Deeper, fuller breaths are better exchanged for oxygen and more calming for the nervous system, especially when we learn to extend our exhalations. So in a lot of our breathing practices, initially we're just trying to teach our students that you know you can breathe into your lower lungs, your middle lungs, your upper lungs, and then utilize that full capacity. Then start to extend learn to extend your breath. And then on top of that, there's, you know, hundreds of practices on how to stimulate the nervous system or calm it down or balance it, depending on what your body needs at the time.
0: What do, what do people need at this time in history? Does twenty twenties mean a particularly stressful year? 2020 definitely balance
1: and calming, not, not aggravating. So, you know, we have a practice called alternate nostril breathing. And that's just drawing in through the left nose, breathing out through the right, then breathe in through the right and breathe out through the left. That's a but you've a got very to do that practice. with, as I
0: understand, with y- your you finger, can, or you can just imagine it. You
1: can imagine it mm. as well as physically maintain it. So I teach both ways, and it's quite good to initially teach students how to regulate their breath with their, their right hand, they'll, they'll govern the flow. Uh, but you can also do it in a, in a relaxation as well, just mentally visualizing. And it's interesting, even mentally, you can still affect the flow of air without physically having to block one side and the other. And, uh, you know, there's another little um, breath I like, which is called humming bee breath. And so you breathe in through the nose, and as you exhale, you just mm, like a, a bee. And it exhales very slowly, so when we vocalize,
0: now, hang on. Let me try that one. Okay. <laughs> so you
1: want to get a good resonance oh. in the belly.
0: Am I? Do I, I need to going. open my
1: mouth? No, no. You keep the mouth closed. I'll do one. I'll breathe in. Mm. It starts to get a bit wavery then you stop breathing again but you can tell how long that exhale was that's calming for the nervous system as well as the noise it cuts out the mental chatter so we, we recommend not doing that on public transport really good for home yeah
0: and you, you 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 can't it's ideal to extend that yeah if possible if possible yeah. but you
1: don't want to sort of be going oh you yeah. know, scrabbling for breath it's gentle steps but very simple practice, very good for the brain and the the body. Yeah, highly recommend that one. So there's lots and lots of things like that out there that are good for students, but they take time to teach. And, you know, the students have to be willing, but most are when you make it a comfortable space. So as yoga teachers, we want to make sure that our students feel safe in the practice and that they can, you know, let us know if anything's going on and then we can give them practices to help them. Um, in their lives and, and yeah coping with stress.
0: And then, what um, I guess, with you kind of, I've, I've lost my train of thought. I might cut this well, bit out. G-
1: <laughs> All right, well, we, we were going through so pranayam um, breath, and then then we get to the meditative state. So okay. that's like the next sections again. So we start trying to bring the mind to a point of one focus. And there are so many ways to meditate as well. And um, Meditation's quite hard. It's really hard just to sit and be still. Lots of people struggle with it. I struggle with it. It's not my forte.
0: Just because of a, like a busy mind?
1: Busy mind and agitated body. So again, that's why we have the physical practice first to, to get the body comfortable so it can be still. Because if the body is still, then the mind can start to become still. So that's that's always why we start with body first. But for those, you know, I've got one child who has ADHD and he was doing yoga classes when he was, all my kids did yoga, not with me, but with a a kid's teacher.
0: Somehow that, it seems um, logical, (coughs) yes?
1: Yes, yeah. It it doesn't help to be uh, the parent and the teacher. So uh, they did it with another teacher and because he struggles to be still, um, she would get him to keep his eyes open and just watch the clock. And that was his meditation. But for people like that, there's walking meditations. You know, you can mindfully walk and, uh, you know, I teach sometimes a slow hand meditation. For people that struggle to not do nothing, those sorts of meditations are really useful. And others, could, you know, they, they just love to drop down and be still and they'll, they'll go on more a mental journey. So we'll take them through visualizations or you focus on the, um, the breath. We have what we call a mantra of the breath, Sa-hum. Sa as you breathe in, hum as you breathe out. And you just keep the mind focused on that. So it's giving, you know, even within the the relaxation meditation practices, there is a process of leading the mind. You know, you've got to give the mind a job because it doesn't like doing nothing. And if you tell it to do nothing, it fights even more. So you give it a job, like focusing on the breath or focusing on the sounds around you. And then you can slowly lead it to a deeper state and then you've got to lead it back out you can't leave people down there so um yeah so there's so much to the yoga practices your physical your breath your mental
0: and so when you're kind of designing if that's the word uh, an experience like a class mm-hmm. like do you are you sort of like you have been exposed to all these possibilities and then you're sort of pick and packing pick and pack that what's gonna suit that group or yep. what you know I guess, I'm imagining that's how it would work.
1: Well definitely, I mean what I teach seniors in their their 70s, 80s and 90s and so what I teach them is not what I'm teaching at the gym, where I've got a very broad range of students at the gym and then what I teach at home because it's such a small space, I can really tailor to the individual student in my home studio so it'll be a a different class again and quite often you know I have a class plan for the week for all these different classes but I, I Pull things out and put things in, depending on who's in front of me, and what I'm going to focus on. And sometimes I go off on tangents, and sometimes I, I don't.
0: And then I guess it's you mentioned earlier about this idea of responding to students and you know helping them. They they can guide what they want to get out of it, type thing. Or, yeah. You know, you're kind of um seeing what what they've kind of got going on, or you know not, or whether what their preferences, that sort of thing.
1: Yes, I mean sometimes. Um, and i'm guilty of this as well as students we have different proclivities so the really hyped up stressed out people tend to want to do the really hard strong classes and the really sort of chilled out relaxed people want to do the gentle classes when really they should be doing the opposite practices to to bring more balance into their lives so the
0: can you can you give us an example of a like a person that's really like like a someone that's like very action someone
1: who's burning the candle at both ends right right and they're um they're jumping all over the place they've got this going on that going on and so they want to go and do a hot strong yoga practice because oh, it's like you an know? extension of it's what just they're doing It's an extension of yeah that's their personality traits but really what they need to so they don't keep burning out is to have a, a much more calming relaxing practice you know i i'm someone you know quite solid and I'd be quite happy just to loll around and do a restorative practice on the floor. But my body, my constitution needs to be doing a physical practice to, to get things moving. Otherwise, I can just get more sluggish and sluggish. And so, so
0: how do you what sort of strategies as a teacher? How do you get that to happen for people? You know,
1: so I teach a, a very basic general hatha class, which should have a bit of both in it. So ideally, a, a good balanced class will have activity as well as downtime, and it will have all the different body movements. Um, but you can't cater to suit everybody all the time. It's not possible. In ancient practices of yoga, it was a one-on-one
0: oh, situation. Oh, okay. Very yeah. customized.
1: Very customized to the student, one teacher, one student. And that's how the knowledge was imparted. So Western yoga is radically different to what it was thousands of years ago. And, you know, we have group classes. And in a group class, there's no way you can make sure it's right for everybody. So you do the best you can. And um, I, I tend to stick to those balanced classes. And if I've got students that come to me, I will say, well, maybe this practice would be a better one you know because beauty today we've got yin yoga we've got restorative yoga we've got the Bikram you know hot yoga you've got power yoga and vinyasa and you've got hatha and everything so you can direct students to say I think you would be better off with this practice
0: different degrees of physicality or the other intensity maybe
1: yes yeah you know and some some people come to me and say I really want to get more into meditation so I'll send them off to a meditation school that will we'll give them more tools in that regard. Because I don't, in my general classes, I don't cover a lot of meditation. So um, you've and got to recognise when you can't cover things for your students, send them to someone who can. Mm. You know?
0: And then is everyone, like, uh, as an alternative to that, are, are people less inclined to want to do the relaxation at the end? Like if
1: Some are. Yeah, so uh, it's very interesting. I've, I've got quite a few students that will rush out just before the relaxation starts. And I give my students permission to do that because I figure well it's better they have some yoga than none.
0: Yes, you leave the door ajar. <laughs> yes, so
1: I say look if you absolutely have to go now, now's the time to go out so they don't disturb everybody else when we go into those states.
0: Uh, and do you know and, why what's the what why they There's many reasons. That?
1: So some people just can't stand to be still with their own thoughts. Some may have trauma and they feel very exposed in those so we lie in a posture we call Shavasana, lying on our back, palms are open, legs are relaxed out. And if anyone's had trauma in their life, if they've been raped or attacked or, um, you know, otherwise vulnerable, they're not going to want to be in those positions so sometimes, and they're not gonna tell you. If they've had that sort of trauma, they, they won't tell you as a teacher either. So I respect people that if they don't wanna stay, they don't wanna stay, but I do say, you know, if you wanna lie on your side, if you feel safer that way, which is why it's important for teachers to make sure that people feel safe. You know, many years ago I was teaching some Vietnam vets and um, they're on hyper alert and they could not close, some of them could not close their eyes during the relaxation. So, you know, you get them to sit up. If they can be still and sit up and watch something, that's better than nothing. Um, and some just had to leave the room. And their mates would go, Yeah, look, he, he just can't do it. And so that's okay. Some of them could stay and they loved it. But everyone's on their own different path and you have to respect that. So, um, it's, yeah, you can never know what's going on in someone's life. And it's interesting, I've done some relaxations and I've. Had people in tears and they've come up to me and said oh that took me to this place and this is what's been going on and we're going oh wow I thought that was really innocuous but for them it was
0: beneficial tears I'm assuming yes but yeah. ultimately yeah. like holistically I guess it's kind of these these are the complexities of.
1: and also you know it's situation. interesting I was teaching um, so in one of my senior groups I was teaching this guide of relaxation of going through a field of red poppy flowers and then through sunflowers and things. And one of the students came up to me after, she says, oh, you know, don't use the red poppy flowers. I'm going, what? why, what's wrong with them? Um, and she said, oh, Remembrance Day, you know, that was her generation of the red poppy flowers and all these soldiers dying and it just brought back those memories. And, you know, that's not been my generation, it completely oblivious to that imagery setting off those sorts of memories. So you do have to be quite careful on, on where you take people with some of your relaxations and, and the age groups that you've got. Uh, I had another one where a student was in tears because I was talking about climbing the mountains and the snow and she got homesick because she was from Russia and it just brought back all the memories of, of Russia and that's why she was upset. But um, she said it wasn't a bad thing, it just made her homesick. So.
0: Yeah. So I feel as though we covered the four, that the, you've gone through and talked through the four elements, but the, there's that fifth one. The bliss. 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 What was it called again?
1: Bliss. bliss. And Well, Ananda. Ananda means bliss. Um, I've not personally experienced that stage as yet, oh. so I can't talk from experience, but I'm told it's out there. There are certain teachers that have achieved it, but anyone is. You know, the other word, for, I guess, is samadhi, that realization. And any great teacher who I've read about has said that, you know, they've experienced samadhi. They say, as soon as you say you're in samadhi, you're no longer in it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> the irony. You're back in the world. Yes, <laughs> yes. So, um, yeah, it's a very interesting concept. And I'm not sure if I'll achieve it in my lifetime, but it's a nice goal to have. Yeah, I'm just looking for integration and um, being a, a more balanced person overall, which I feel I've I've made progress in over my lifetime. And there's still plenty of work to go. That's the interesting thing. You know, the mind, the body, it's always changing. I mean, you know, my practice has changed over the years as, um, you know, I've got arthritis, so I've had to adjust my physical practice. And, um, you know, in these times with, with COVID and... Um, you know we're not we're not getting our hugs anymore and, and that social connection so you know we, we employ other tools to find ways to make that connection we, we've done a lot of zoom dinners and things and you know people are using more of their meditation practices and breathing practices to bring about that sense of calm into their lives letting go of that stress that's induced from media and and being outside with other people i guess Well, from the yoga perspective, I think yoga is for everybody. If you can breathe, you can do yoga. If you can physically move, you can do yoga. If you can mentally think, you can do yoga. And it's just, you know, searching for the tools that suit you at the right time is what we're looking for.
0: episode i chatted with astrid pickup a yoga teacher you can find more information about this episode in the show notes including a link to astrid's website thank you for listening to perspectives in parryville